huge thank you to our worship team. Thank you guys so much for all the hard work that went into recording that video and to, to Bill Khan for editing that and putting that together for us. Uh, we are just so blessed to have our worship team uh, ministering to us and, and leading us even during this season. So before we jump into the word, we're going we're gonna to study in just a minute, but I want to just take a moment and pray before we jump in together. So church, would you pray with me? God, you are good. You deserve all of the glory, everything that we have to give. God, even uh, the rocks and, and the mountains and creation will cry out in glory and praise to you. And uh, God, we just pray that as we come together and uh, pick up your word and, and hear from you this morning, God, we pray that you would speak to us. God, that you would uh, bless uh, this passage from Luke that we're going to be looking at this morning, and God, that you would give us ears uh, to hear what you have to say to us, and God, that you would give us a soft heart that is ready to receive it. God, that we would not just be people who hear the word and what you have to say, but God, that we would be people who, God, just we, that, that we would live it out and practically do it uh, in every moment, in every day of our lives. God, change us in the way that we act, not just in the way that we think. Uh, so, God, we pray that you would bless this time as we study together this morning. Uh, we love you, and it's in Jesus' precious, uh, beautiful, holy name that we pray. Amen. Well, join me. Uh, grab your Bible if you've got it. Uh, if you don't, you can press pause down at the bottom and, and go grab it. But uh, pick up your Bible, and we are going to be studying uh, Luke chapter 1. We are going to study verses 5 through 25 this week. So, as we uh, find our way there as you make your way there. I think it's interesting. This is kind of the, the first real sermon that we've got out of the book of Luke. And uh, so as we pick up the story here with uh, Dr. Luke telling us the story about who Jesus was and how he came to save the world, uh, we start in a place that maybe I wouldn't have started the story if I was the one writing the story. So Luke doesn't begin his gospel with a, a fully grown Jesus ready to uh, go out and, and take on the world and, and perform miracles and, and save us all. Uh, he starts not even with a baby. He starts uh, his gospel story in Luke uh, in the wombs of two separate women. So this week we are going to look at the first of those two. We're going to look at the announcement that comes before the big announcement. Uh, and what we see here as uh, Luke jumps in and, and starts by uh, telling us the story even before uh, these babies are born, I think it's important for us to just pause here before we jump in too far and realize that, that Luke is pointing out here that, that he's talking about these babies who are going to be born as people, as children. Uh, we're going to look at the story of John the Baptist today. We're going to look at the, the story of Jesus in a couple of weeks and how uh, an angel was sent to uh, reveal that news to uh, Zechariah today and to uh, Mary and Joseph in a couple of weeks. And what we see in that is that uh, these are people that God has plans for, that God has worked for even before they are born. And I think that just speaks to something that uh, is so uh, prevalent uh, in the conversation on the news today. Uh, these babies, even before they're born, are, are people and are valued by God. But uh, with that kind of little side note, let's jump into uh, the story here. So 
We're going to see in our passage today, the angel is speaking to Zechariah in the temple. And, and in this story, it was a historic moment. It was a significant moment in the big picture of the Bible, in the big story of the Bible. Uh, this is a, a significant moment because uh, it had been over 400 years since the last words of God had been spoken to his people. Uh, it had been over 400 words since uh, the last words of the Old Testament in Malachi uh, had been spoken. And uh, over that time, God's people surely felt a weird sense of, of quiet, of uh, perhaps abandonment or uh, just uncertainty of, of, God, what are you doing? Why have you gone silent? And so uh, they've been in this period of silence for 400 years. And now as God sends the angel Gabriel to speak to Zechariah and to reveal the next step in God's big plan of saving humanity, God breaks the silence and speaks to uh, this old man and makes uh, the plan clear. So what does God say? Where does God uh, pick up after this long silence? Well, he, he picks up right where he left off. Uh, the, the words that were spoken, the last words in the Old Testament that were spoken 400 years earlier uh, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, I'm going to read those for you. And you can flip back if you want to. I'll give you just a second, but I'm going to read those for you. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 are going to be significant words for us today as we look at this story. It says in verse 5, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. What we see here is, uh, God has made promises in the Old Testament that now he's, he's getting ready to fulfill in the New Testament. Uh, he sends John, John the Baptist, uh, that we're going to see here the, 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 the announcement of John the Baptist coming. He sends John as another sort of Elijah who will prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. He's going to prepare the way for Jesus to come. And God is going, re going to send, he's getting ready to send the long-awaited Savior to his people. So uh, as we have kind of set that up, let's look at how God sets the scene for the big announcement. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. So find your way back to Luke now. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 5 through 12 together. It says, starting in verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. We're going to pause right there and, and talk a little bit about what's going on in these verses. The first thing that we see in verses 5 through 7 is just kind of a, a basic introduction of Zechariah and Elizabeth and who they were. So uh, we see first Zechariah and Elizabeth, they descended from Aaron. 
that name should be familiar to you. Aaron was uh, Moses's uh, brother. He was the helper that God gave to Moses as uh, Moses was leading the people out of Egypt and, and into the promised land. And uh, Moses's family had become uh, the, the priests in the people of Israel. So uh, Moses's brother, Aaron, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth had descended from Aaron's uh, family tree. So uh, Zechariah was a priest of Abijah's division, which means that his people, the, this, this group of people that Zechariah comes from, they served the temple and, and worked in the temple from the time of King David all the way up to this point. Uh, they, he comes from a family where uh, these people were not unfamiliar with what God was doing. And uh, he was a special person who uh, had an opportunity to go and to serve at the temple in the way that God had called uh, him and his family to, to work. Uh, Elizabeth also comes from the daughters of Aaron that it says here in these verses. So uh, it also describes their character in these verses. And it says that both were righteous in God's sight that they lived without blame, that they uh, generally they could have been described as people who lived the way that God wanted them to. Not that they were perfect, as we're going to see here in just a few verses, uh, that Zechariah and Elizabeth were far from perfect, uh, but they were people who walked and, and lived in the way that God uh, wanted them to. They wanted to please God uh, in every decision and everything that they did. They were described as righteous. It also says that they were faithful. That even in their old age, even in not having a child up to this point, they have been faithful, they were righteous, and they lived their lives in a way that they tried their best to serve God and give Him everything that they could give Him. But uh, we can't just ignore the fact that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth had probably experienced incredible disappointment in their life. They believed that, that coming to this point in their life, that God had refused to give them a child and were likely quite uh, disappointed by it. Their uh, family line was going to die off with their generation, that God had not given them uh, an heir and, and a child to uh, continue the family on. But what we see in this story as, as we get to look at it now and, and kind of see the whole picture is that uh, we see in this story a clear reminder that God works in His timing. Uh, God is perfectly uh, aware of everything that exists in life, everything that's happening in the world. Uh, he even knows the things that are going to happen in the future that we can't see. He knows uh, what would be uh, the best thing for us. And uh, God chooses to give good gifts to his children, even if it doesn't necessarily fit with what we think we deserve or what we think we want right now. So uh, when God doesn't give us everything that we want, he's not just a, a genie that we can rub the lamp and uh, he shows up to give us all of our wishes. Uh, we have to, to choose how to respond to our disappointments because our, our disappointments, when God doesn't give us everything that we want, they can either make us bitter and we can get mad at God and, and push away from him and say, God, I, I thought you were kind. I thought you were loving it and just get mad at him. Or they can, they can make us better. They can make us trust God more. We can find that, that as we look back on life, as we look back on times where maybe we didn't understand what God was doing. I think I've told you guys that my, my story of being here in California as your pastor has so many bumps of God, what in the world are you doing? God, what, why, why is this happening? 
and things that, that I wouldn't have chosen for myself or I wouldn't have chosen for my family uh, brought us perfectly to the place where uh, now we can look back on it and see that God had a plan in all of it. So uh, we have to be careful, and, and we see that in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, that they don't allow their disappointment in the fact that God hadn't given them a child like they wanted up to this point, uh, that, that that failure that they believed from God uh, didn't just make them bitter and, and push them away. We have to remember that uh, even though uh, God is in control, he, he doesn't always give us what we want. And if we just look to Him as a genie in a lamp, that is not the gospel. That is not the story uh, that the Bible tells us about who God is. Uh, that is the prosperity gospel. And you may hear other preachers and other people out there on the internet and on TV and, and in other churches around America and around the world that will say things like that, but that is not the story of what the Bible has to say. God does not just exist to give us everything that we want, to make us happy, to make us rich. There's times where maybe we don't get everything that we want, but God will always give us what's best. Even though it may not be what we want, God is always in control. God is never surprised by the way that things play out in our life. And God is always going to give us what's best, uh, even if it is a, a, a time of difficulty or a time of disappointment or a time of loss or a time of sickness. God is always faithful to give His children exactly what they need exactly when they need it. So uh, we're going to continue on in the story. We see in verses 9 through 12, uh, Zechariah enters into the holy place and having this incredible moment that his number has finally been called, he sees uh, the angel Gabriel standing there uh, in the holy place with them. And this initial encounter that he has as he uh, sees Gabriel, uh, it produces a sense of fear and terror in him in a way that it just paralyzes him. Uh, it's not uncommon for us. We see this several different times in Scripture. We saw it last week uh, in the Easter story as the women went to the tomb uh, looking for uh, Jesus to, to anoint his body. And when they arrived there, they see the angels uh, who have told, uh, who, who tell the women that Jesus is not there, that he's been risen from the dead. But their initial response is the same that Zechariah's is. They, they uh, experience these feelings of, of terror, of fear, of uh, what are we going to do? And in that reality, as we see Zechariah uh, experience just a, a glimpse of the glory of heaven, not God's glory, but just uh, kind of the, the, the leftover glory that the angels got, uh, he is blown away by the glory and majesty of this creature who uh, serves God and, and speaks on God's behalf. So uh, we see here uh, Zechariah uh, begins to, to, to hear from uh, the angel Gabriel, and he uh, has a couple of different things that, that Gabriel points out to him. Let's look at this next chunk of the story. We're going to look at verses 13 through 20 in one big shot here, and we're going to see the prophecy, the, the words that Gabriel has to share with Zacharias. Let's look at verse 13. It says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor, 
and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make, a re- make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent here to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which which will be fulfilled in their proper time. According to Acts chapter 7, uh, Acts 7.53 tells us that angels deliver God's word, uh, which is exactly what Gabriel, this angel here, uh, is doing in verses 13 through 17 in our story. Uh, we see seven different statements, seven different things that Gabriel tells uh, Zechariah on, on God's behalf. And uh, the first one of those in verse 13, uh, his response is just, do not be afraid. Angels reveal, uh, as, we, as we know, as we see over and over again in Scripture, angels reveal uh, some fraction of the glory of heaven. And people in the Bible, when they see an angel, they respond in overwhelming fear. But the angel is not there to be worshipped or to be feared. The angel, Gabriel here, is uh, here on behalf of the Lord, and he doesn't have time for Zechariah to, to have his little fearful moment. Uh, he says, don't be afraid. Uh, we've got, we've got uh, a conversation to have. There's news for you. So uh, don't be afraid. He then goes on to tell him, your prayer has been heard. Zechariah and Elizabeth surely for years had been praying, begging, pleading with God, God, give us a child. God, we want a child. We need a child. God, you, you need to provide this for us. And uh, for years, they had certainly been uh, begging and, and pleading with God uh, as uh, we can only assume that they would do based on uh, Elizabeth's comments a little bit later in the chapter. But given Zechariah's response in verse 18, we don't think that it was at this moment that Zechariah was praying for a child. As he had gone in, he was making the offering, he was making the sacrifices. But what I think happened here and what I think the angel is saying is, God has not forgotten you. God has, has heard your prayers and, and, and knows exactly what you wanted and what you guys thought you needed and the time has come that now it's not in your timing, but it's in the Lord's timing that uh, He has come and has heard your prayer and is going to give you the answer that you so desperately wanted. It says in verse 14, uh, the angel tells him that you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at His birth. Many of us, if, if we had had this experience, this encounter with an angel, and we had wanted a child in the way that Zechariah did, uh, we would be content at this point. If we could hear from an angel, uh, don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer, and he's, he's going to give you a son, and, and, and many will rejoice at his birth. I think Zechariah and, and many of us would have been content with just going, All right, God finally gave me what I wanted. But God had so much more. God was not done. Uh, this, he wasn't even halfway through the statements that Gabriel came 
uh, to, to tell Zechariah. So uh, as we continue, verse 15, Zechariah uh, receives this word that uh, his son will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is going to be a, a mighty man, a, a powerful man. And in the next statement in verse 15, uh, the angel tells him that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he is yet in his mother's womb. He's going to be a great and a uh, influential and a uh, powerful servant of the Lord uh, because God is going to come and, and send his spirit to dwell in John the Baptist, uh, Zechariah's son. And this total invasion uh, by the Spirit of God, it was, it was something that uh, was unprecedented at this point. At this point now, uh, sitting here in 2020, uh, we as the church have the Holy Spirit that comes and lives inside of us and dwells in us and empowers us to uh, do uh, incredible things in the world on God's behalf. We uh, understand uh, the, the gospel, uh, that God opens our eyes through the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. Uh, God gives us the ability to go and to share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit does so many different things uh, in us, but uh, at the point where uh, Gabriel is telling Zechariah uh, that the Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell in John, uh, John's filling with the Holy Spirit was a prophecy. It was a prophetic uh, sign that God was going to give when he filled John that it would ultimately become the hallmark of all Christians like me and you. This also tells us, as we see uh, in the next line, that uh, John was going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, so he couldn't be controlled by anything else. And that's why uh, those verses tell us that uh, from uh, his birth, he would not drink alcohol, that he would be set apart for God's work, and uh, he, he couldn't give himself to anything else that was going to take him away from uh, the, the work that God had given him to do. Uh, so we see there that the Holy Spirit will fill John. It also says in verse 16, the angel tells Zechariah that he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. God is going to use Zechariah's son that is, is coming to ignite a revival in Israel, that people are going to be called from all over to return to God and to live in the way that God had called them to. Finally, it says in Verse 17, that he will go as a forerunner before him, talking about the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. These words should have rang out like a giant flashing light in Zechariah's mind. It should have been a, a bell or a, a light bulb that went off uh, as a priest, he should have recognized those words as uh, the words from Malachi chapter 4 that we read at the start of our time together this morning. They summarize Jesus's, or excuse me, they summarize John's earthly ministry as he is going in and preparing the way for Jesus to come. The prophet Elijah had denounced the apostasy of his people, the, the, the false uh, beliefs and the false teaching of his people and he had stood against the uh, false prophets of Baal uh, he had rained God had rained fire down on these false prophets uh, at 
the, the, the word and the actions of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet from the Old Testament who uh, spoke and, and lived with incredible power and, and spoke on God's behalf incredibly clearly. And as uh, John the Baptist would come, he would live with the same power. Uh, he would have the same spirit in, enabling him and giving him the ability to speak and make incredible impact in the lives of people in the same way that Elijah had. So how do we see uh, Zechariah respond? Let's look at verse 18. We see that while Zechariah shouldn't have doubted, uh, for several reasons he did. Uh, What were some of those reasons why he shouldn't have doubted? Well, first off, he was uh, a priest. His life had been given to serving God in uh, special ways, and he should have been well acquainted with the scriptures. He would have known about the divine interventions when God worked in supernatural ways in the birth of Isaac, in the birth of Samson, in the birth of Samuel. In the Old Testament, this isn't a new idea that God would work supernaturally in giving uh, children to people. And he should have known uh, in this moment, in this experience, as he's standing here talking with an angel, Uh, that he was being confronted by something that he knew was supernatural. When it said that he had uh, a sense of of terror and understanding that this person that was in front of him was not just a a normal person. So as he is standing here talking with an angel, he knew that this message was from God. He knew that God had sent this angel to come and to share the message with him. But for some reason, Zechariah still doubted. He still Uh, refused to believe. And this was serious for him. This was something that that was a big problem in this moment because in his doubt, he implied that that God wasn't big enough to do incredible things, that that God didn't have the power to uh, change his uh, lot that he had been dealt in life. God, it's, it's too late. I'm too old. My wife is too old. We can't have a child. And when People look at God and say, God, you can't do whatever it is. It's a huge mistake. And what Zechariah was doing was he was doubting the power of God to do what God wanted and needed to do. So if God could not give Zechariah and Elizabeth a child, what he was doing, he was also implying that God couldn't save his people from sin. He couldn't save his people from death. He couldn't send a a Messiah, a Savior to come because if God wasn't powerful enough to give them a baby, he certainly isn't powerful enough to save uh, the the people of Israel from uh, the the, the punishment that they deserve. So uh, Zechariah's doubt and his response of disbelief uh, in verse 18 is just a, while it seems subtle, it's a incredible uh, failure. It's a, it's a low moment in his life as he says, uh, how will I know this for certain? Prove it to me. Angel, give me some sort of a guarantee that uh, what you're saying is going to be true. And so in that doubt, in that uh, response that Zechariah had, Gabriel uh, turns and addresses that and says, Uh, Something to the effect of, uh, I kind of want to paraphrase it here because uh, we read the the words and he says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, but I feel like uh, today it would probably sound more like a a smack on the back of the head for Zechariah and a, don't you know who I am? 
why do you think I'm standing here? Like, I, I obviously am from heaven. I, I don't look the same as everybody else that's standing around you that's out there uh, waiting for you to come out of the holy place. The angel looks different. And as he uh, stands there talking with Zechariah, you want a sign? You, I'm here telling you what God sent me to tell you, and you want me to prove it somehow? I'll tell you what. If you need a sign, I'll give you a sign. You won't talk again until this baby comes. The, the penalty for Zechariah's unbelief was fitted to uh, the, the, the crime that he had committed. Zechariah's tongue was the, the, the tool that he used to utter his doubts. He had just used that voice that he had to, to doubt whether or not God was able to accomplish what the angel said he was going to accomplish. So in response to that doubt, in response to that utterance of unbelief, the angel said, you will speak no more. And the aged priest would have nine months of silence as he would have plenty of time to reflect on the situation and on his uh, disobedience and his doubt. Zechariah was an upright man. He was described as a righteous man early in this uh, passage, but his failure on this occasion uh, left him uh, with a, a smack on the back of the head uh, to left to sit in silence as he pondered how God was going to do incredible things uh, in his life and in the life of his family. Let's look now at, at the last few verses in our passage. We're going to look at verses 21 through 25 together. In verses 21 through 25, it says, The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at, the delay, at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in these days, when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Sometimes, even good, righteous people who, who want to do the right thing, who, who want to follow God, sometimes uh, people have doubts about God's promises. The angel, in effect, he, he tells Zechariah, you're going to sit here quietly and you're going to get to watch God work for a while. So this sign of silence that uh, is given to Zechariah uh, is given to him with a, a major lesson backing it up. What the angel is communicating to Zechariah and to us today is that God will always bring his promises to pass. You don't have to, to doubt or wonder or fear whether or not God is going to come through and provide the things that he promises he's going to provide. When God said you're going to have a son, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. You don't have to ask how. You don't have to ask uh, for an explanation of, of, of how it's all going to work you can trust that God always keeps his promises. In church, we can live in that exact same reality, that exact same faith today. We can trust, we can know that God always, always, always keeps his promises. So Zechariah in this moment gets to come out of his encounter with the angel and he has plenty of time to sit quietly and listen to God and, and develop those uh, that, that sense of trust 
in his relationship with the Lord that perhaps he had, had missed or, or uh, had struggled with in his encounter with Gabriel. So from this point forward, from these verses on, what we see is uh, even though the, the, the true revealing of God's plan wouldn't happen until Jesus was born, there was a sense of, of glow in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. There was, there was something exciting happening. The silence had been broken. It had been over 400 years since, since God's people had heard him speak in uh, the days of the prophets in the Old Testament. And now, after that 400 years of silence, the silence has been broken. There was a, an excitement and, and a, a joy that was coming, and Zechariah and Elizabeth were among the first to know that it was coming. In six months, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth would host the mother-to-be of the Son of God. Uh, Mary would come and, and visit with them, and they would even have an opportunity to nurture her faith. Uh, they would hear Mary's song that we see in the end of Luke chapter 1, the Magnificat. Uh, we would also see Zechariah after John the Baptist is born. He would one day sing his own song of faith that God had had revealed to him so many things during his time of silence while he was waiting for his son to be born. What we see here is the prophecy, even though uh, Zechariah was forced to be silent for nine months while John was uh, cooking in the oven, what we see is there were incredible spiritual events, supernatural events that were on the horizon that were leading up to the birth of the Messiah there, there was an incredible sense of joy and opportunity looking forward to this as the Messiah was coming. So what do we do with all of this? We've, we've dug into it and, and looked at uh, what this passage all means, but what does it mean to us today? Well, I think what we see in Zechariah's uh, situation, one of the most obvious things that, that, that speaks to me as I read this story is, in Zechariah's case, in his old age, when God sent an angel to come and to reveal God's plan to him, uh, he, he got focused on the problems. He got focused on his doubts. He got focused on the reasons why God couldn't do something. And when our eyes are on the problem instead of on God, we can miss so much. We will not receive God's word or God's power in our lives if we focus on the problems. Did you know that you can block out, you can go outside today and you can look up in the sky and you can block out the sun with a quarter? Just depends on how far away from you the quarter is, right? If you hold that quarter right up to your eye, it can totally block out the sun. And I think many of us were guilty of, of kind of doing the same thing when we focus so much on our problems that we miss the power of God, the, the, the intense glory of God and the fact that God has proven himself and proven himself and kept his promises and the understanding that God is able to do whatever he wants. We kind of miss the sun in the sky because we're so focused on the problems that are right there in front of us. Let's not focus all of our attention on the immediate problems that we've got, our, our circumstances that are right in front of our face where uh, we think for some reason God can't take care of the problems that we've got. We're in a season where a lot of people are facing very serious problems. 
Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's uh, economic struggle that your family, somebody has been laid off from their job or, or the, the cost of things that you need has gone up to the point where uh, you're really struggling right now. Those are all perfectly valid problems. I'm not, I'm not here to say that those aren't problems, but I am saying that when we focus on the problems, when we focus on the thing that's right in front of our face and, and ignore the power of God, we are in a, a dangerous spot. We're in the same dangerous spot that Zechariah was in in this passage. When we focus on the problems, when we focus on the fact that, well, God, I'm, I'm old. I don't think you know. I, I, I hear you. Zechariah was saying, I, I hear you, God. I, I know that you're saying I'm going to have a child, but, but I'm old. And my wife is barren, and we can't have kids. I don't know if anyone told you, but that's not in our cards. He doubted what God was able to do because he was focused on the immediate reality of his problems. But when we allow God to be big and to be powerful and we remember stories about how God accomplished incredible supernatural things like we see here in the scriptures, we're reminded that no problem is too big for God. There's nothing in our life that we're going to face that, that's too much for him, is too uh, powerful for him, that he's not able to solve in his perfect timing. So when we see here, we see Zechariah focus on his problems, uh, we need to be cautious not to just focus on our problems, but to remember to keep our eyes on uh, God and on his power and on his uh, ability to to change the world in an instant. As we just talked about this past week in one of the devotionals that I shared with you guys, if God is able to say, peace be still to a storm on the Sea of Galilee, he's able to say, peace be still in any problem that we've got in our life as well. Elizabeth also teaches us something in this passage that I think is important for us to pause and acknowledge. Elizabeth teaches us that, that even in her sense of grief and, and, and disappointment, her life, she had probably wanted nothing more than to have a child that she could raise, that she could invest her life in and, and spend time with. And the, the culture that she was living in, that was one of the, the, the primary goals of a family was to a husband and a wife to have a child that they could invest in and pass their family lineage on to. And Elizabeth surely had incredible amounts of disappointment and pain in that. But Elizabeth teaches us that, that even in our grief, even in our disappointment, uh, we have to make sure that, that we keep our eyes fixed on the fact that God is bigger than our disappointment. That, that if we bring our disappointments to God, that if we bring our griefs to God, that if we, if we come and run to Him, that He is able to, to handle it all. God is able to, to shoulder all of the burden that we have and so much more. We need to bring our disappointments to Him, but we also get to come to Him and celebrate in our joy and in our excitement and in the ways that we see Him work. Because God's there when things are bad, but don't forget about him when things are good as well. God is always, always, always at work in the lives of his children. May we never forget that. And as we see in this story of what seemed like disappointment in an older couple who was unable to have a child to the incredible revelation of the fact that God was going to give them a child to Zechariah's doubt 
and Elizabeth's joy. We see in all of the different stages of this story, we see God is ultimately in control of all things. God will keep his promises, and God has far better for us planned than anything that we could ever imagine. Elizabeth and, and Zechariah were just praying for a child. Little did they know that, that not only were they going to receive a child in their old age, in, in the miracle that God was going to do in their lives, but that child was going to change their country, was going to change their world, and, and was going to be someone that we are still talking about today. God is able to do whatever He wants. He's able to do whatever He wants in your life and in my life. And, and my challenge for us, all of us today, is that we would have faith to trust Him in that and to look to Him instead of just focusing on our problems like that quarter trying to block out the sun. Would you guys pray with me? God, we are so thankful for, uh, God, just for your work in our lives, for your work in uh, the world, and uh, for your work in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. God, thank you for this story uh, that you revealed yourself to these uh, two older individuals, and uh, God showed them that, that you are able to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. God, help us to, to never forget that reality. God, that even when we get focused on uh, the problems in our life, even when uh, by all earthly standards uh, we should abandon hope that, that, that maybe uh, just like their season of having children was over, God, maybe we uh, should have reason to fear. God, we know that you are ultimately far bigger than anything that we are going to face. God, that you are far more in control than anything that, that may be happening in our lives. So God, we pray that you would do your work. God, that we would just, as, as children, God, we are described as children and that you are our good father. God, we pray that we would trust you, that we would look to you and that we would lean on you in a way that, God, help us to acknowledge how great you are. God, you are good and, and we give everything that we have to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.